Truth News Network. A political party is willing to crash an entire country just to get rid of one man. What are they so afraid of? And how come nobody's asking that question? Well, one man is. In the relentless pursuit of the truth, you've reached TNN. The Truth News Network. And here's the man asking the tough questions, Dan Newman. Got a question for you. Where are the facts? We look for the truth here at Truth News Network. That's why we're named truthnewsnet.org. Glad to have you join us today. A big day on the show. We got a lot of things to cover in the next two hours, but nothing more important than right now. Joining us live is Jay Sladen, Jeremy Sladen. And you're going to learn a lot about him in the next few minutes, but former Georgia Tech baseball player, drafted, went to the Phillies. I actually, as a Phillies fan, I knew about him in his career there. But as often happens to professional athletes, when their careers are over, they don't have any place to go. Jeremy, thank you for joining us today. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me and uh, look forward to having this conversation. Well, you are a man of um, many means. You're out there doing a lot of things, professional baseballs in your rearview mirror. But give us a quick recap of professional baseball, what it meant to you, what happened during your career, and that is a a lot of the reasoning for what you're doing now. I want you to get into that too. So get us started. Get us started. Right, right. Well, I left, uh, it was 2005, I was drafted uh, out of Georgia Tech to the Phillies, and you know, my time at Georgia Tech wasn't always easy. Um, I, I, you know, had a couple tough years there, but but was able to. And I'm getting some terrible feedback. I'm sorry. I'm sorry too. I'll try let, to talk. Uh, let me see if I can get it. Just keep talking. I'm going to try to get it lower. Kind of bends your brain when you're hearing yourself talk back to you. But you're right. Anyhow, so yeah, so my time at Georgia Tech was was enjoyable, but it was it was it was pretty tough. I had a couple tough years, missed the season. So it was really a blessing to come back as a redshirt junior after missing a full year and not getting to to you know go in the draft my in my real junior season, but coming back and having a pretty strong year after lots of injuries and some heartache personally. Um, came back, did well, got drafted by the Phillies, and it was game on to try to achieve my dream of being a big league player that I had since I was a little boy. And um, for six and a half seasons, I worked my way up. Now, a lot of people think that uh, minor league baseball involves, you know, three levels, single A, double A, triple A. Well, actually, there's about five or six levels, depending on the team. There's, there's you know, short season A ball, low A ball, high A ball, double uh, A, triple A, and Arizona Fall League. So there's all these levels. Well, I hit uh, one rung of the ladder with each year and really enjoyed that time. And I think part of it was I stopped taking it so seriously. Because I had, uh, you know, baseball had become a really my God. Even though I was a Christian, I was living and dying for so many years with my my performance. And when I finally was was able to kind of loosen my grip on some of that and let it go, uh, and just play the game like a kid again for fun, I, I became a better player. Um, but you know, unfortunately, by the time I really had my shot, which was uh, Major League Spring Training in 2011. Um, I was kind of right at the end of a window for a prospect in terms of my age, but I had a unbelievable uh, major league spring training. And then I hit, I hit a, a home run off the bench, another home run. I really had been playing well and I'm rounding the bases and all the feeling goes out in my uh, right leg as I'm rounding the bases on this home run. 
And uh, man, it was it was the beginning of a lot of personal uh, pain. Uh, it was the beginning of the end of my career. Um, so I, I that that was actually kind of what led me out of baseball back in 2011, 2012, um, and led into a time of uh, great success, surprisingly, in business, but behind the scenes, some 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 poor choices, uh, addictions, different things that came into my life, uh, and I had a whole other battle in front of me to to refine my identity as a baseball. I'm uh, sorry, as as a a human being outside of baseball and, and a believer, uh, Christian also, um, letting that take, you know, the number one spot, but that took a long time. So that's in a nutshell. And I may have, you know, I don't know if I said too much or what, but that's, no, no. uh, yeah, that's kind of what led me to, you know, there was a pursuit of truth in my own life that I had to get to. I had to get really honest about what was going on with my addictions, what was leading me to want to act out, be it sexually, be it with drugs, be it with alcohol, um, and, and, you know, when I, when I got real about that stuff and began to seek help and, and came clean with my wife about all of these things and in many others, by the way, um, then I felt led to speak truth in culture. And, you know, you, you know, as well as your listeners since 2012 and especially since 2020, um, man, our culture has, has gone awry. I mean, it's been, it's been a crazy ride, you know, and I thought, you know, the same principles that applied to my personal recovery they will apply to our world but we have to get truth when we have to get honest and and that is a that is a tough pill to swallow i mean it is tough to look yourself in the mirror and say this is who i am and these are the things i'm doing and they're wrong and i've got to get real about this and take do the hard work of of coming out of this hole and i think that's where we're at as a society as well um, and people don't like honesty. You know, <laughs> that's why politicians get away with lying so much. Is you know, they just tell people what they want to hear. Yeah. So uh, that that led into what I'm doing today, which is a pursuit of truth, as well as you know, uh, God can lead me to that, and not being afraid to to tell it, and um, hopefully in doing so, giving other people permission to do the same. Well, I I watched your documentary on Rumble, and uh, I was really impressed with it. We're going to post it on our website. It'll be on the front page of today's story at truthnewsnet.org after the show is over. But the last 10 years, the last decade, you've put in a lot of time and uh, you've learned a lot, obviously. You're still young, though. you got a long way to go. And Yeah, I, I'm 40, so I appreciate you saying that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm 69, and my wife will tell you, uh, I often say I'll, I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to do when I grow up. So there you <laughs> a wise man once said this to me, Jeremy, before we get into warrior MBS, don't let where you are today determine your identity. Where mm. you are today is just one stop on the road of where you're headed. That's good. Yep, that's that, right. That stuck with me, but it applies to what you just told us about your venture over the last decade plus. Yeah, and I think for as a believer, and I always was a Christian believer, and I believe that that God had a plan for my life and has a plan for all of us if we'll trust Him and if we'll look to Him for direction. And I think having that in the background, no matter how I was acting out or, or far from God, I knew that there was something more. There was a higher purpose than how I was living at that time, and a lot of it's brought on by pain. You know, pain causes us to justify why we we you know are in the place that we're in. And, uh, 
to, to get back to your point, though, I think knowing that there's a higher calling will, will pull you towards that. You just have to be willing to, to say, hey, I'm not going to be defined by what's going on right now in my life, and I want something more. Well, I'll just throw this in. Bible teaches us to seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of this other stuff will be added to you. Seeking yes. God first is where we all start if we want to get anywhere. That's right. That is right, no doubt. Well, listen, tell us about Warrior MBS. That intrigues me. I've looked at that website today. Yes. All right. So um, I left my corporate career. I was I was a, a salesman uh, and, and, a, and a construction manager for major roofing and waterproofing projects for the government for 10 years. And I had some, some, some real success in that. And, but when I, when 2020 hit and all the craziness started, uh, you know, just, just covering over our globe, like a blanket of deception, I felt like I just really felt called to, um, begin to speak truth. And I, you know, for a while I stayed with my job and then finally I went to my, my, uh, my manager and just said, Hey, I've, I've got to do this full time. And he respected that. And so I start, I didn't even know what I was doing, but I started a podcast. I started kind of an influencer platform and I'm doing that right into the teeth of cancel culture. And, uh, that's kind of a difficult thing when you're going to be having doctors on your show and people, uh, talking about, uh, election integrity and all that. I mean, I was getting canceled right and left trying to, you know, build a business out of it. And I found out real quick, okay, this is, you know, unless I've got some serious, uh, money backing me and all this, it's probably not going to happen. So I prayed and I said, God, wh- where am I uniquely placed? And I felt pretty clearly that the Lord told me, Jeremy, you're, you're a coach. You are someone that knows how to encourage men. You understand the body and how to get guys in shape, um, how, to, how to get guys to regain their confidence, um, how to get out of a mental fog. I mean, I think a lot of us, especially during some, some darker times in our life, or maybe not, maybe we just are eating poorly, but there's a there's a, a brain fog that can come in. For me, it was in the late afternoons, and I just couldn't think straight. And helping guys get out of that funk, and then lastly, getting guys back in community and competition again. So I, I came up with a with a program out of that called Warrior MBS that stands for Mind, Body, and Soul. And because I believe those three things are connected, you know, if you're if you're spiritually in a good place, that is great. But if you're physically in a really bad place, that's going to drag you down. But, you know, so, so those three things work together. And um, I put together a curriculum and it's it's a uh, it's a 70 day program to help guys have their own personal reset. And you can come in in a really, really bad place and gain from this in a big way. Or you can come in and just say, hey, I, 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 want, I need an anchor. I need something to tether me on a daily basis uh, to some good guys and stay in shape and, you know, just the basics. And they're going to leave with, with a positive as well. So we've had really, really good results. And, um, uh, yeah, you can go to warriormbs.com and find out all about it. And there's a special I'm running for your viewers called at warriormbs.com forward slash Newman, and they can get half off the program. We're start, we're starting the next round in about four days. So uh, I'll let you, I'll stop talking. I'll let you ask the questions because there's kind of a lot to it. Yes, there is. www.warriormbs.com. M-B-S.com. And I want everybody to go there and join me because I'm going to be going and getting involved in it. It's a great challenge. Jeremy, masculinity. Masculinity is under assault by the left and has been now for years, but it's really gotten to a fever pitch. And a lot of guys are just saying, look, 
I'm not going to be a part of the wokeism movement. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to do that. And I'm just going to be who I am, but they are afraid. We are afraid to express that to other people. How do we get over that hump? Well, courage is, is a big deal. And, and, and men, uh, kind of like it says in Braveheart, men don't look at titles. They, they follow courage. And so guys, I think in their heart, they want to be courageous. Ever since you've been a little boy, you've wanted to be a courageous warrior for the good. And so many men um, were caught off guard. I think for a long time they'd been comfortable. They'd gotten probably lazy. And the biggest thing in their life was just continue to bring home the bacon, work up the next rung of the corporate ladder, and provide for their family. And, hey, nothing wrong with that. In fact, it's a noble thing to be a provider and be a great provider. But what they have done, and and when you say the left, I think it's even bigger than that, and and men need to be aware of what our enemy is here. It is is a globalist, totalitarian sort of a takeover they're trying to implement, and they they need – the strong men of all the nations, but America especially, to become emasculated, gelded, uh, weak, confused about their role in society. Because once they do that, well, they've taken out the head of the nuclear family, which is which is an enemy of theirs. They've taken out the strong men that could speak out against them and, and have them uh, just kind of wallow in fear. But the way that you the way that you overcome that is you practice, you build that muscle and it is like a muscle. So when you go to the gym and you, you, you know, push your muscles against the resistance, it grows over time and it hurts at first for two weeks. You're going to be sore. You're not going to feel great about it. But then about two, three weeks in, it's like, man, this feels kind of good. I like this. So you have to get over that hump knowing it's going to be difficult at first to speak out, knowing that you may have to make some sacrifices in your finances, in your work. Um, and in this culture, you, you most definitely will if you're a big businessman with all the ESG scores going on where they're trying to shoehorn all these companies into a new age morality that is just not going to align with an individual's Christian morality. So you're going to have to make some choices there. But the more you do it, the stronger you'll get. And I think many men will find that um, so many people will come to, to their cause and join them, kind of like Mike Lindell. He was taken out of every big box store. You know, I think most of the, the commentators at that time back in 2020 would have said, well, okay, his business is done. It's over. Well, he had so many patriots rally to his cause buying direct from my pillow. I mean, every freedom fighter uh, podcaster in the world is doing a my pillow partnership. Um, it, it's actually not hurt his business at all, if not helped it. So um, th- there's going to be people that rally to your cause, and I think also God is going to, to make a way. So it takes some faith. It takes a willingness to sacrifice. But if you really want to provide for your family in, in, on the, over the long haul, boy, you better not do what all the globalists tell you to do because their ultimate aim is that you'll own nothing and be happy. That, that's coming straight out of the World Economic Forum. So we've got to become wise about who the enemy is. So it's not just the American left. It's these global elites and you've got to look at what they're saying because that's who's really calling the shots it's not the biden administration just being bumbling idiots it's them actually doing things on purpose to fall in line with the world economic forum's 2030 agenda you talked about the world economic forum you talked about globalism for a few minutes most guys Mm -hmm. most guys are really uh not cognizant about the details of what it is We've heard the one world order and the new world order and all those kind of things, globalism. They're pushing us in that direction. Explain if you would. Can you put it in layman's terms 
what that really is all about, what it looks like? Yes, and and it can be difficult to wrap your head around, but I'll, I'll try to make it as simple as possible. So it's it's sort of a version of communism that they want to implement, but it's it uses technology to do so. So I think most people would be familiar with all the surveillance that's going on. I mean, yes. how every single thing is tracked from yeah. the, from the Fitbit you're wearing on your wrist to the Kroger card at the store to your definitely your your credit cards and everything else. Well, now these people are saying we want to put surveillance under the skin. And, you know, a lot of people say, well, that seems far out. Well, it's not. There's other countries that are already doing it with a population that's like, yeah, this is great. I can just scan my hand uh, to get into my office, to get into the fridge at work, to, to, to buy things. I just scan my hand. They're doing that already with these little grain of rice size chips that they're, they're putting in the hand. And if you know anything about um, Revelation in the Bible, I would steer clear of that. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, you think, okay, well, who's really saying that? Who's really, who's really wanting to implement that? Well, one of the key players is Bill Gates and his world ID 2020-060606. That's the patent number for his world ID 2020. And it's a big push from the World Economic Forum and many other globalist institutions. I mean, the WHO is even involved where they want to get – and they, they, they sell it as, hey, everybody needs an ID. And, and, you know, it's hard for people to get IDs. You know, in America, we hear a lot about it with – the black community, like, oh, you know, it's voter suppression. You, people don't need to show an ID to vote. Well, they're trying to say now it's it. We, we've got to give everybody an ID in the whole globe because it's hard for them to get an ID. And it's silliness, but it's how they're, they're trying to sell it. And they're also claiming that this ID will be – it's going to go into your, to your hand or wrist through a, through a hydrogel, and it's going to be able to read your human genome, create vaccinations for you on the spot if you get sick. It's going to be able to communicate with with 5G, with the network. Um, And for a person that's a complete secularist, those things can be sold as pretty good. It can sound like, man, okay, so I I can do all these things that my iPhone could normally do, but it'll it'll, it'll be done kind of without me having to type it in. Um, But but for anybody that's got even a smidgen of – of biblical knowledge, you know, that this could get really bad really quickly. So I just bring all that up to say some of the biggest players in the world want to control every aspect of your life, what you do, what you believe, what your morality is. They're trying to, I mean, you look at what the left was saying 10 years ago, and it was considered a big debate on whether, you know, okay, the right's fighting against the left. Well, now these globalists are saying, no, we're going to just codify this into law. And we're going to make it almost impossible for you to believe otherwise. An example of that in America would be um, uh, kids that are struggling with gender dysphoria or maybe they've even been hypnotized by their teachers at school into thinking they're the opposite sex. Well, the teachers are allowing them to hide that from their parents until they come out about it. And right now in California and Canada, if a child comes out and says, I want to change my sex and and a parent is uncooperative, well, the state gets in the way and will take that child away from their parents and even put the parent in prison. That's already happened. There's news stories about it. So that's what they're trying to do. And so my message to men is you better wise up about what's going on and what they're trying to do. So you need to understand who you're fighting against and you better get strong, both in your courage. I think in your physical body, that's very important. Your, your head needs to be clear and spiritually, you better be grounded to a source of truth because – those other people are trying to implement a new truth and make it um, uh, against the law to believe otherwise. You said something that led me to think about this. 
it, it begins in our relationships, uh, first with mm-hmm. God, then with others around us. You being a, a former professional athlete, I mean, a real professional, Major League Baseball athlete, you were up there, you're in the bigs, you're looking at an eventual really big contract. I mean, Major League Baseball players now are getting $15, $20 million a year to play ball. That had Uh to be the, the big thing that you were looking at. What about your wife? Where did your wife fit in along this road? And obviously, she married a baseball player that's no longer a baseball player. How did you and her keep the focus on each other and on God as your work stuff changed through the years? Well, um, to be clear, we didn't meet me and my wife until my last year of baseball. And it was even halfway through that last year. And I knew I was was on my way out. So thank God, because I was, (laughs) I was not in a place where I could have been a good husband and father, um, as I worked my way up. And part of that's just being gone for five, six months of the year, you know, out traveling, playing ball that that's got, um, you know, enough obstacles as it is, but going out of baseball and, and I mentioned kind of a loss of identity. I mean, I left uh, baseball with very little money because I, I just barely touched the big leagues. I didn't spend a lot of time in the big leagues at all. I, I, it was yeah. almost all in the minors. Yeah. Um, but having that, having physical pain be a constant part of my life, um, that, that loss of identity from, from baseball being gone and then loving her and wanting to marry her and then getting married Boy, we had our share of, of, of issues that popped up over the years. So I don't, you know, I could go into detail and I'm fine doing it. It's something I do with my group, definitely. But I, I got pretty deep into a lot of addictions there for a while that almost took us out. Um, and, and thank God that, you know, I don't want to give myself the credit, but there were so many people. And, and I, I knew it's like if I don't get a handle on this and get honest with her and with others, I'm going to lose everything. Um, so that it, it speaks to the power of, of transparency and honesty in a relationship and of a woman's love. I mean, she loved me through it. She was extremely angry with me on that, uh, about, about several things, but it was a process. And today in 2023, we have a, the best marriage that we've had uh, of, of our entire, I mean, we got married in 2014. Um, th- this is, it's just getting better and better and better in our society today. Tell these guys, everybody wants to hang on to masculinity, but it's under attack and we're being told from a lot of people on the left, but as you said, it's not just that, it's the political pressures from the top that men need to just sit down and shut up and it's the age of feminism and the female gender. How do guys today handle that? And I'm going to point you once again to warriormbs.com warriormbs.com and that special little come on there'll be a slash newman at the end of that right yes that that's where you get the you'll get um half off so it's a it's a great deal warriormbs.com forward slash newman i'm assuming jeremy that you'll go into a bunch of this uh to the guys that are in that that group will be there and you can do it but how did you make that bridge with your wife Make the bridge in terms of, of uh, being honest? Or, yeah, sorry, well, which... well, being a good man, a good husband, 
and taking care of your wife in this era of masculinity being evil? How did you hang on right. to your max masculinity and uh, deal with her and the female population in the left are every day, constantly, 24-7, demonizing masculinity? Yeah. Well, one thing is I, I married well. I married a woman that wants no part of that that kind of uh, feminist, um, anti-man, anti-masculine culture. So she's already on my team and wants me to be a real man and is, is encouraging that. So I would say if you're unmarried, marry one that is not on that, that, that <laughs> secular leftist side of things. But um, num- number two, I think um, regardless of where your, your wife is at, w- women in their core, they do want a strong man. Now, Satan, the enemy, is going to try to pervert that, twist that, tell them they don't need a man, all those things. And that can be appealing to some women more than others, um, but it's actually not what they want. And there, there have been studies done. There's actually a very, very many recent ones, but one academic paper that I read recently, and it was a, a poll that had been done in the 70s. And it was all of these women who were – they considered themselves feminist. They were you know, career-oriented, which nothing wrong with that. But they, their lives were more about uh, being independent and making it on their own without a man. Well, they re-polled those, those same type women today. So not the same women, but the same type of women. And they measured their joy in life, their satisfaction in life. That was the two metrics they looked at, joy and satisfaction. And well, you got to look so, – so from the perspective of, okay, how many advances in terms of what the feminists say they want, well, they've basically gotten everything they've wanted from the 70s to 2022 or 2023. Well, the joy and satisfaction has actually gone down in those same women because it's not it's, – it's, they're not actually getting what, what uh, the, the feminist um, ideals are, are – are propagating. And I think we got to understand the truth of what's behind it. So here's a quote from Linda Gordon, one of the most prolific feminists of the 70s, 80s, 90s. She said the nuclear family must be destroyed and people must find better ways of living together. Whatever its ultimate meaning, the breakup of families now is a is our revolutionary process. So that's that's at an academic level. We got to understand what these people really want, regardless of how it's promoted in the media or what Joe Biden's administration says or, you know, the, the, the college institutions say you got to look at what these people really believe. And it comes down to, you know, doing your research. And I think that men knowing that and women knowing that will give them clear eyes on how to handle it. So to, to, to summarize the, all of that, I would say don't participate. You know, we've got a culture that's slamming men and sla- slamming young boys that want to be competitive and do things with excellence. They're told they're told that that's toxic masculinity. Do not participate. If you got to pull your kids out of the school, do it. If you you know you just make, make wise choices on how your kids are being entertained. Um, right now, if I go to the local Target right here in Franklin, Tennessee, and I walk through the children's section for our children's book section, at least half of those books are LGBTQ or something about uh, a racist uh, racism or whatever. And it's like, there's obviously a a propaganda system here being pushed onto a a public that's not even asking for it. So I'm trying to say, and I'm sorry if I'm bumbling around. No, that's okay. Yeah. We don't need to be participating or, or letting our emotions be swayed by people who are being dishonest about what they're really after um, and, and people that are just constantly on the attack and never happy, even when they get what they want, 
they are less happy than before. So you can't please these people. Stop participating. Jeremy Sladen with us today. Jeremy, how can our audience interface with you? What's the best way to get together and share more of what you're about? Sure. Yeah. Well, there, there's a the really direct way is you could go to warriormbs.com uh, forward slash Newman. And you can, if you're, if you're unsure about the program, you can set up a 10 minute call with me. You'll have access to my calendar. You can set up a time to talk right there and, but get on it quick. Cause our next round starts in, uh, starts in about four days, but you do have another seven days to sign up. Uh, so, so get on that quickly. The other way, if you want to see, um, uh, the cultural commentating, the influencer side of what I do, you can go to J Slay USA on Rumble or on Instagram. Those are the two places where I put most of my stuff. And uh, as long as Instagram doesn't doesn't shadow ban me again, uh, but J S L A Y USA uh, to see what I do every day. So some of it's just cultural commentating, some of it's funny, uh, but I, I just try to put uh, truth out there based on current events. Jeremy, thank you so much for sharing this with us today. This is something everybody needs to hear. And so I will tell all of you listening, this show ends all of these uh, podcast sites, every one of them, pick up the show TNN Live, go there, you can download for free, doesn't cost you anything, this particular interview. As a matter of fact, we're going to do the interview part of this in a separate file and post it on the front page of truthnewsnet.org. Jeremy Sladen. You're a great guy. You come back to TNN Live anytime you want to. I would love to. Yes, let's stay in touch. Thank you, buddy. Have a great day. Thank you. Jeremy Sladen, what a man. Former Major League Baseball player, had trouble with his career, and he did what happens to a lot of guys. We think we're going to be one thing. We think we're going to do one thing, and it just doesn't work out. And then we're shattered. We don't know where to turn. Some great thought there. And if you want to join, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. WarriorMBS.com slash Newman. WarriorMBS.com slash Newman. It's something that all of us can use. I don't, I don't care how old we are. Um, I like what he said and I trust what he said. How are you doing? It's Thursday. You've only got one more day after today, and you got a weekend. Well, we're going to send you into your Friday with a bunch of facts and information that you need to know about. We're going to get into that right after this. I pass through the trees. I leave behind the mountains. I weave in the air. I fly over the birds. And I wish when I complete my journey, I leave behind a better world. Honda Civic Hybrid, India's first hybrid car with IV Tech engine, leave behind a better world. Hi, I'm Jet Williams. Even though I never knew my father, Hank Williams, his legacy taught me the meaning of lending a helping hand. That's why I support the Orphan Foundation of America. OFA is committed to providing education, mentoring, and a workplace readiness for thousands of teens aging out of the foster care system. With the help of OFA's support programs, these young people can go to college and trade school, graduate, and make the leap from foster care to success. To learn how you can help, visit Orphan.org.
DesMoinesHelpWanted.com salutes the employee of the month, the one employee you can't live without. The others, let's just call them Dave. Dave, we need to talk about your sick days. What seems to be the problem, Mr. Employee of the Month? Last week you were out all five days. I was sick. Thanks for checking in. You posted on social media that you were at a comedy club on Monday. Laughter is the best medicine. An outdoor barbecue on Tuesday. Feed a cold, starve a fever, or whichever one needs to be fed. That's the one I had. Okay, Wednesday you took a selfie, hashtag faking sick. That was supposed to say freaking sick. Thursday you were at an amusement park. Somebody stole my phone. They stole your phone and uploaded photos of you at an amusement park. Yes, fake news. Friday, you tailgated in the employee parking lot. Friday's basically the weekend. Everyone knows that. If you don't mind hiring Dave's, go to the huge national job boards. That's probably what you'll get. But if you want more employees of the month, go where local job seekers find good local jobs. We don't discriminate against people named Dave. Dave is a common name, fun to say, and so we're using it as a catch-all for lackluster employees everywhere. Please don't write us to tell us you were insulted by this ad. That would be a real Dave move, Dave. Too much spin on your plate? How about a diet of truth? The Truth News Network sets your table. And here again to serve it up is Dan Newman. Wouldn't you know it, politics in D.C., it just kept rolling along, even during that conversation we had with Jeremy Sladen. And uh, news is out, economic news is out. I don't know why they started doing it on Thursdays. You would think, especially when it's going to be bad, they roll it into the weekend and kind of bury it. It's all the big news stories that uh, are going to make any Democrat look bad. They wait till 5.30 on Friday afternoon. Why? Because the week's over and people have turned their attention elsewhere. And so they want to bury all of the bad news and that very fact. And what might be some of that bad news? Well, it's mixed. The Commerce Department put out some numbers on our GDP for the quarter, the final quarter of last calendar year. Our economy expanded at a 2.9% annual pace. That's from October through December for the quarter, ending 2022 with some momentum despite the pressure of high interest rates, widespread fears of a looming recession, And there are a whole lot of economists out there, many that I agree with and I trust that say, not only are we in a depression, excuse me, I said a depression, God, don't let that happen, recession, we've been in one for several months. The estimate today from the Commerce Department showed that our gross domestic product, our GDP, that's the broadest gauge of how we're doing, decelerated last quarter from the 3.2% annual growth rate it had posted from July through September. It went down to 2.9%. Most economists say the economy is going to slow even further in the current quarter and slide into at least a mild recession by mid-year. That is not good news. However, the economy got a boost from resilient consumer spending and the restocking of supplies by businesses. Federal government spending also helped lift GDP. That is a bomb that doesn't need to be part of this. You don't want the federal government and its spending to impact the gross domestic product. Why is that, Dan? Well, all the federal government does is spend our money. They don't have their own money. So in other words, this 2.9%, the growth rate during the quarter, that came in large part from us spending through our government. 
I'll never forget when I, I wrote, I did, I wrote a six-figure income tax check. And I went into a coma. I could not fathom giving the federal government $100,000. You know, I'm not griping about the fact that it was a good year. Our company did really well. But I looked at that check and I told Marianne, my wife, I said, we will never personally see any benefits to anybody from this money that we're sending to the federal government. And I know, I know, in small part, we did because it spread out across the nation. But listen, when they tell us they're going to spend money and they're going to invest in something, they're not investing in anything. You and I, when we invest, what is that? We take our money, we write a check and put it in uh, a, a money market fund, a retirement fund, whatever. We direct its use and therefore we directly benefit later on from what good it does makes more money for us. That's certainly not the case with the federal government. Don't get me started about that. Now, the economy's expected slowdown in the months ahead. It's an intended consequence. The Federal Reserve's wanting it to slow down. Why? Because we have an aggressive series of rate increases. The Fed's hikes are meant to reduce growth, cool down the spending, and crush the worst inflation in about four decades. Last year, the Fed raised its benchmark rate of lending seven times, and it's set to do so again next week, though this is this time by a smaller amount. So the resilience of the U.S. job market has been a big surprise. I, I can't believe what's happening. Last year, employers added 4.5 million jobs, second only to the 6.7 million that were added in 2021 in government records going back to 1940. And of course, the 2021 was everybody going back to work. The Biden administration every month, they gave us those numbers and they said, we've increased employment. We've made these new jobs. They're not new jobs. 6.7 million went back to work. Last month's unemployment rate, 3.5%, matched a 53-year low. But the good times for our workers aren't likely to last. Higher rates, interest rates, make borrowing and spending increasingly expensive across the economy. Many consumers are going to spend less, and employers will likely hire less. So put all of this in a package and put a shiny bow around it, Dan. Honestly, I can't do it. I can't do it. I just think there is a big bomb that's waiting out there in our economy. And I'm not a pessimist. My glass is always half full. But I lived through the Jimmy Carter administration. I was just really getting rolling in my professional career. I was in the automobile business. And I remember when interest rates, regular old loans from the bank were 20% and mortgage rates were 7 and 18%. And at the beginning of the Carter administration in 1976, no one, even though he was a Democrat, nobody expected any of this to happen. 
And everybody was shocked, didn't know what to do, didn't know what not to do. And our government under Jimmy Carter was feckless. Everything they told us to do, people tried it, and it just made things worse. I pray we don't go back down that road. Oh, my gosh. It was a nightmare. (laughs) It really was a nightmare. We just did not know what to do. And it wasn't because we weren't trying, folks. We were. We were trying. We were doing the best we could do on our own and trusting those in authority and government to tell us what to do and what not to do. They got it wrong, and we suffered. And then came Reagan in 1980, and that story changed. So let's talk about D.C. for just a couple of minutes. The big story on Capitol Hill, the biggest story, is about Adam Schiff and Eric Swalwell being booted off of the Intel Committee in the House. White House Press Secretary Corinne Jean-Pierre yesterday, she said that Democrats Adam Schiff and Eric Swalwell should remain on the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence after they got the boot from House Speaker Kevin McCarthy. And of course, Corinne Jean-Pierre, she's an expert on such matters. She said Representative Schiff, Representative Swalwell, and also Representative Ilhan Omar are, you know, our expertise. These are her exact words. They are, you know, our expertise and bring a lot to the table when it comes to foreign policy and national security. I will say that, you know, when it comes to that committee, it should not be politicized. It should be independent, she continued. And again, those congressional members bring a lot of expertise to that committee. And I'll leave it there, which basically is saying, I don't know anything about the House Intelligence Committee, but I know these guys have been on the committee, and I speak for the White House, and there's a Democrat president in the White House, so I speak for the support of these guys. Basically saying, forget about what they've done in the past, And they've done a lot in the past, and they're an intelligence bomb about to happen. Neither one of them could get a federal clearance. Neither one of them would get it because of what they've done in the past. So in a letter to Speaker McCarthy over the weekend, Democrat leader Hakeem Jeffries asked that the two, Swalwell and Schiff, Eminently qualified legislators be reappointed to the committee despite Swalwell's association with the Chinese spy Fang Fang and Schiff's promotion of the discredited Steele dossier and Adam Schiff to this day. I heard him say it 45 days ago. Donald Trump colluded with the Russians during the 2016 campaign and Vladimir Putin help get him elected. And Adam Schiff said, we have uncontroverted evidence that it's a fact. And he's never given anybody one shred of proof there even is evidence, let alone see the evidence. McCarthy, he sent a letter back to Hakeem Jeffries in which he stated he was rejecting the appointments of Swalwell and Schiff 
I appreciate the loyalty you have to your Democrat colleagues, the letter said. And I acknowledge your efforts to have two members of Congress reinstated to the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence. But I cannot put partisan loyalty ahead of national security, and I cannot simply recognize years of service as the sole criteria for membership on this essential committee. Integrity matters more. As such, in order to maintain a standard worthy of this committee's responsibilities, I'm hereby rejecting the appointments of Rep. Adam Schiff and Rep. Eric Swalwell to serve on the Intelligence Committee. Now, Swalwell responded after McCarthy's letter to Jeffries calling it rich and political vengeance. Kevin McCarthy kicking Schiff and I off is just too rich because you know he's going to put Marjorie Taylor Greene, Paul Gosar, and George Santos, who today admitted that he defrauded the Federal Elections Commission with all of his campaign finance. But he's going to kick two of us off, said Swalwell. McCarthy's indicated he's not going to place Santos on the Intelligence Committee. And by the way, Santos was elected by his people. There's a difference in getting a role voted on by the people and getting a role by an appointment from a a brother Democrat politics. I hate it. So Adam Schiff and Swalwell and Ilhan Omar claimed that Speaker McCarthy removed them from certain committee assignments because of a deal that he cut with fellow Republicans during the speakership race. Now, the fact-checkers weighed in on that, and the verdict came in. False. McCarthy directed a letter to Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries on Tuesday, reaffirming that he was rejecting Schiff and Swalwell to the Intelligence Committee. The congressman from California released a joint statement with Rep. Ilhan Omar, who McCarthy has said should not serve in the Foreign Affairs Committee. The trio falsely claimed that McCarthy struck a corrupt bargain in his desperate and nearly failed attempt to win the speakership, a bargain that required political vengeance against the three of us. Now, Politico is reporting this. You just heard a quote from McCarthy that explained it. He made his clear how he was going to remove the Democrats from these specific assignments more than a year before the speakership election. It didn't just happen a few weeks ago. His plans were to remove them from the very get-go. The Democrats have created a new thing where they're picking and choosing who can be on on committees. Never in the history of Congress have you had the majority tell the minority who can be on a committee. But this new standard which these Democrats have voted for, if Eric Swalwell cannot get a security clearance in the private sector, there's no reason why he should be given one to be on Intel or Homeland Security. He will not be serving there. And he added, Ilan Omar should not be serving on foreign affairs before turning his attention to Schiff, who served as the chairman 
of the House Intelligence Committee in the last Congress. You look at Adam Schiff. He should not be serving on intel when he has openly, knowingly, now used a fake dossier, lied to the American public in the process, and doesn't and doesn't have any ill will and says he wants to continue to do it. This is McCarthy speaking. We're going to reshape. Think about what happened in Afghanistan. Why did Afghanistan collapse so fast? Was the Intel Committee under Adam Schiff focused on impeachment and not on the safety of America? Why are people coming across the border that are on a terrorist watch list? What are they doing about it? Their own members on that committee say it's not happening when it's true. Let me give you my two cents. We need to have an intel committee that looks at what's happening around the world and keep America safe. It should do exactly what it was created to do, overseeing of our agencies. We need to hold people to a higher standard in the process if they want to be on the intel committee. And the training, by the way, to take a part of it. Politics should not be. Wow. Now, somebody that knows a little bit about intelligence. He was a congressman. He was the head of the CIA. And he was a secretary of state. I'm talking about Mike Pompeo. Pompeo... He is a politician. He knows the game. But he knows intelligence. I think he's planning on or thinking about running for president. I don't know about that. But I'm going to tell you this. He's a blue-collar guy, and he learned through experience about intelligence. Anybody that survives a stint in the United States CIA... (laughs) Uh, I've got a lot of respect for him. I'm going to tell you what Pompeo said in just a minute. Just because you think something's right doesn't mean it's right. Just because you think something's wrong doesn't mean it's wrong. But always get the truth about right and wrong here at TNN, the Truth News Network. Does it matter to you that all our chefs are well-trained? Or that our kitchens are both SLSI and GMP certified? that we freshly bake goodies throughout the day. Well, it matters to us to know that your family will enjoy every bite. At Kiehl's, we're fresh because of what we do. But more than that, we're fresh because of you. It's Super Salmon Days down at Fish Brothers. For a limited time, bring in any fish and get a child salmon entree free. You heard right. Bring in any fish and get a free child salmon entree. And I mean any fish. Got a swordfish lying around? Bring it in. Got a goldfish you're sick of feeding? Bring it in. Got a fish that's been sitting in the sun for a few days? Bring it in. We'll throw it in with the rest of them. What we do with the fish is nobody's business but ours. Just enjoy your salmon $8.99 with our famous stew. So, welcome on into Fish Brothers Seafood Theme Restaurant, where everything's a great catch. Except the shrimp.
What a name for a group. Harold Melvin and the Blue Notes. <laughs> a great song, though, if you don't know me by now. Hey, if you joined us late today, you missed a great interview. Jeremy Sladen, former Major League Baseball player who has gone out in the world and he's found a new way to talk to men and to teach men how to survive in the environment that we're in today. And that's a big, broad thing. And he's put together a plan that I'm actually going to join as soon as the show is over. It's Warriors MBS. MBS stands for Mind, Body, and Soul. WarriorMBS.com is where you need to go to subscribe. And if you'll put a slash Newman on the end of that, you get a 50% reduction. What's it all about? It's about a series of conversations about everything regarding our, our health, our bodies, our soul, and how to make it work. I've talked to some people that know Jeremy, and he's the real deal. If you missed it, his interview is going to be right at the top. Actually, it'll be at the bottom of today's story at Truth News Network, and it'll be it'll be uh, in a form you can download it and keep it if you want to. But learn about it at least. If you decide not to join Decide not to join by having the facts first. That's what we do here anyway, right? We get together every day and we talk about facts. Now, going into the break, I told you Mike Pompeo is weighed in on this Schiff-Swalwell debacle that's fallen in the lap of the new House Speaker, Kevin McCarthy. Former CIA Director, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. He sounded off specifically about Adam Schiff after Schiff was formally removed from his seat on the Intelligence Committee. So I didn't even know this, but Pence served on that committee himself as a congressman when he came from Kansas. Pompeo said Kevin McCarthy was exactly right to remove Schiff. Hmm. McCarthy removed, as you know, Schiff and Swalwell from the committee. Pompeo took particular issue with Schiff and argued that he should be nowhere near classified information. Adam Schiff lied to the American people, Pompeo said. During my time as CIA director and secretary of state, I know that he leaked classified information that had been provided to him because he was on the intelligence committee. Pompeo told panelists that Schiff nearly ruined the committee while he was serving as the chairperson. In a press conference yesterday, Democrats called their removal an act of revenge and an unfair smear. But Pompeo said, and this is from firsthand knowledge, Schiff could not be trusted on the committee. When we provided information to him and to his staff, it ended up in places it shouldn't have. With alarming regularity, Pompeo explained. In the end, I decided I held back information from them, from that committee, as a result. Yeah, it was Pompeo's responsibility when he was Secretary of State to work with members of the House. In spite of that, he and Schiff's behavior, Swalwell and Schiff's behavior was troubling 
and didn't feel comfortable providing them information. Pompeo explained that House members each have a responsibility to protect sensitive information and an obligation to keep all of it in the right places. Schiff chose instead to spread unfounded political talking points. I watched the House Intelligence Committee under the leadership of Adam Schiff. I watched him denigrate and lower its ability to actually perform its function. When he was out talking about the Russian hoax, going on to say the Hunter Biden laptop was Russian disinformation, knowing that it almost certainly was not, that's indecent and dangerous, and it affects every American. That's somebody that has knowledge. I'll never forget. I talked to a couple of members of Congress in the House, and when they had classified intelligence committee briefings, it was very common almost every time when they took a break, all of them would go to the restroom, go out and answer some phone calls. Every time Adam Schiff went out and made phone calls and wouldn't get around anybody because he didn't want them to hear who he was talking to. Who was he talking to? Have no idea. But Pompeo said they had factual information that he was spreading classified information to other people. You know, that can put the nation at risk. Also, it can put people in our intelligence committee that are out in the world doing investigations and watching to keep us safe could put their lives in danger. That's a kind of scary thing. I'm going to do something here that many of you won't like. I'm going to go back to COVID just for a moment. Just for a moment. Republican senators led by Roger Marshall of Kansas are reintroducing legislation banning the federal government from funding any gain-of-function research. Now, we've talked about gain-of-function research over and over again. We've had doctors on the show that gave us the examples of what it is and what benefits, if there are any, and I don't think there are, but what benefits they use to try to claim it's okay to do it because we get this out of -of gain-of-function research. Proponents argue that gain-of-function research, which is intended to make a virus more deadly and more transmissible, they say it can help scientists predict and prevent future pandemics. Chinese scientists were conducting the research on bat-based coronaviruses in the very infamous Wuhan Institute of Virology, where many speculate COVID-19 emerged from. Our tax dollars were sent to the lab through a Department of Health and Human Services sub-grant, and many members of Congress believe the federal government should reinstate a ban on funding this practice. The bill that Marshall is entering prohibits the feds from giving funds to any institutions of higher education or other research institutes that are conducting gain-of-function research. Barack Obama banned the Fed, the federal government from funding gain-of-function research back in 2014, but President Trump lifted the ban in 2017. A lot of pressure put on him 
by the likes of Dr. Anthony Fauci. We'll keep our eye on that. That's a big deal, another big deal. And another thing, another big COVID-19 thing. You know, the left came up with the term misinformation. Why did they do that and what does it mean? Basically, anybody that disagrees with the hard left, mainstream media's interpretation of anything and everything to do with COVID-19, vaccines, vaccinations, even the mask and lockdowns, anybody that goes or says anything against that, they're committing misinformation. There's actually a law in California that it supposedly stops misinformation slash disinformation. And the law when it was passed in California was challenged by doctors in two lawsuits claiming that it violates their constitutional rights. In the first one, Hogue versus Newsom, five doctors alleged that the California law is unconstitutional under the First and the Fourteenth Amendments of the Constitution. In that other lawsuit, Huang versus Bonta makes similar allegations. Both lawsuits sought a preliminary injunction to stop California from enforcing the law. The five doctors filed a lawsuit against Governor Gavin Newsom and other officials, including the president and members of the Medical Board of California. They argued that this law prevents them from providing information to their patients that may contradict what the law permits or prohibits. They also alleged the law was used to intimidate and punish doctors who disagreed with the prevailing views on COVID-19. Well, what kind of things are they talking about? hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, not taking any of the three COVID-19 vaccinations. And I'm going to be transparent, totally honest. Everybody in my family falls into that last category. Every one of us got COVID-19, but every one of us used medications like hydroxychloroquine, zinc, even ivermectin, and our cases were very, very short with quick and full recovery. So if I lived in California, that law, there was penalties in it. If I even talked to somebody and told them what we used in our cases of COVID-19. Judge William Shubb, who, by the way, is a George W. Bush appointee, he wrote in his ruling of the court, it was plausible that the medical board would determine their conduct violates that law, and therefore the doctor's fears are reasonable given the ambiguity of the term scientific consensus and of the definition of misinformation as a whole. It's kind of like the term equity. You know, the left are, are running around there saying, in fact, our vice president said it in uh meetings over the weekend that the Constitution guarantees us equity. It doesn't. Equal justice under the law and equal opportunity to
to pursue whatever it is we want to pursue. They don't like equality because equality, it sits in a vacuum. It lives in a vacuum. It came to us from our creator. And therefore, the Constitution guarantees the state, which would be our federal government, can't take it away or abridge it. They like, the left love the term equity. Now, what is the difference between equality and equity? In equity, it requires somebody or somebodies to determine and define what equity means in every single circumstance. Therefore, equality's kicked out the room. Because equality means nobody in the state has any power to define it. Equality means everybody's the same when it comes to trying to do things, to try to learn things. The judge noted that this weighted in favor of the plaintiffs, that it has standing. Because the definition of misinformation fails to provide a person of ordinary intelligence fair notice of what is prohibited and is so standardless that it authorizes or encourages seriously discriminatory enforcement. The provision is unconstitutionally vague. Accordingly, the court concludes that plaintiffs have demonstrated a likelihood of success on the merits of their vagueness in the challenges. There you go. So what else is going on? We haven't even talked about Joe Biden today. We haven't even talked about DocuGate. Well, let me tell you who's talking about it. I love Sky News down in Australia. They listen to us, I've been told. I've not heard directly from them. But we have a big following, TNN Live does, truthnewsnet.org does, down in Australia. But anyway, they came out and they kind of giggled about how Biden is handling DocuGate. Of course, they kind of giggle about Joe Biden anyway. I thought it would be a fresh air, a breath of fresh air for you to hear from Sky News. My word, what a few weeks it has been in American politics. Before we get to the <laughs> get to the latest news out of Washington, which we're going to talk about with Rowan Dean and Rita Panahi, let's have a look at some breaking news in the class and look at some breaking news in the classified document scandal that has the power to potentially end Joe Biden's presidency. I thought that since it was a Sunday, we ought to check in and see how the president, who has more than once claimed he grew up going to black churches, was going. Come on, clap your hands, all ye people. Tell us to God with a voice of Christ. Take me up. Hey. Hey. Come on, the power of the Lord is here. The power of the Lord is here. The power of the Lord is here. Feel it in the atmosphere. <laughs> That's right. The power of the Lord is here, but Joe Biden's rhythm, not so much. That was, of course, the president attending services at Ebenezer Baptist Church for Martin Luther King Jr. Day service. And didn't he look comfortable in that environment? I mean, well, I mean, why, I mean, seriously, though, why wouldn't he? Because, as I said before, he has said a number of times in the past that he was raised in black churches. 
I, I got raised in the black church. He knows I'm not kidding. I got my education for real in the black church. And that's not hyperbole. It's a fact. And let's lay one thing to rest. I may be a practicing Catholic. We used to go to 730 mass every morning in high school and then in college before I went to the black church. <laughs> okay, gosh, Mr. President, look, I can't say I've had as much experience in churches of any sort as you claim to, but what did they tell you in any of those joints about bearing false witness? Anyway, before we talk about the latest in the Biden document scandal, I wanted to bring to your attention another American politician, former Vice President Al Gore who has not only done so much to rev up the world's climate hysteria, but has also, guess what, managed to make a pretty penny out of it in the process. First, let's have a moment to listen to what Al Gore had to say at the Davos World Economic Forum meeting earlier this week. It may be early where you are, but nevertheless, I recommend maybe you want to pour a little stiff drink to sit this one through. When are we going to bring these emissions down? And, and just to put the science in a, a slightly different context, people are familiar with that thin blue line that the uh, astronauts bring back in their pictures from space. That's the, that's the part of the atmosphere that has oxygen, the troposphere. Uh, and it's only five to seven kilometers thick. That's what we're using as an open sewer. If you could drive a car straight up in the air at interstate highway speeds, you'd get to the top of that blue line in five minutes. And all the greenhouse gas pollution would be below you. We're still putting 162 million tons into it every single day. And the accumulated amount is now trapping as much extra heat as would be released by 600,000 Hiroshima-class atomic bombs exploding every single day on the Earth. That's what's boiling the ocean. <laughs> how many how many hundred thousand atom bombs a day wow i mean he's pretty animated there and so much i guess for the idea of a wooden al gore who couldn't even do the macarena and who famously wasn't opposed to an occasional massage to help him limber up but hey that's another story we don't need to talk about that here seriously though did you listen to the guy what a lunatic paranoid sanctimonious smug could you imagine anything worse than having to sit next to him on the obviously electric bus but it turns out there is a method to his madness because according to the daily mail guess what al gore is now collecting a two million u.s dollar a month salary after losing which he's been doing since he lost to george w bush in 2000 when he set up the generation investment management fund with former goldman sachs managing director and close friend David W. Blood. Now, apparently the fund has something like $36 billion under management, and I guess it's nice work if you can get it. Turning on the fear at global warming events like the WEF and then turning that around with $200,000 per speaking gigs and then whipping up the hysteria some more to create investment into your fund as everyone else, you, me, you know, your neighbors are stuck with higher power prices and electric cars that conk out at the worst time and can't start in the cold. Anyway, back to U.S. politics, and I want to bring in Rita and Rowan on this in a minute, but breaking news, 
because we've got to bring you up to speed on the latest in the classified document scandal where they have been found all over the joint, or rather all the joints, including the Biden's old vice presidential think tank, which has collected here some more money, $50 million in donations from the Chinese, and they've also been found in the garage at his private residence in Wilmington, Delaware, which apparently was okay because, well, have a listen. Classified material next to your Corvette. What were you thinking? Let me, uh, look, I'm going to get a chance to speak on all this, God willing, soon. But as I said earlier this week, people, and by the way, my Corvette's in a lock garage. Okay, so it's not like you're sitting out in the street. <laughs> and God. what's more... Insiders of the White House seem to have known about this document problem, including the documents next to the Corvette, which was in a locked garage, so don't get all suspicious about that, before the midterm elections. But they kept it quiet, and we can only assume to avoid giving Republicans ammunition in the, what was a close election. Well, as the old saying goes, it's not the crime, it's the cover-up. And have I got some fascinating news about how the White House, how the Biden White House has been managing, or rather covering up, the scandal. According to this very carefully put together piece by the New York Times, the White House has been getting Anita Dunn to help them out. Who's that? Well, means that this must be serious because if you don't know Dunn, she was in the lead at the Obama White House's communications operations war against Fox News. And she was there until she was forced to resign after it came out that she had praised Mao Tung in a speech <laughs> calling him one of her great inspirations. And she has been in and out of the Biden administrations, uh, uh, reportedly being one of the geniuses behind the phrase ultra-maga. Well, gosh, <laughs> isn't, wasn't that smart? She's a real clever cookie, that one. And according to the website Influence Watch, Dunn has also been linked to such lovely people as Harvey Weinstein, mm -hmm. And once said that COVID was the best thing to ever happen to Joe Biden and the Democrats. Wow. Those are our friends. <laughs> uh, it's sad that people on an international television news network that are allies. I mean, Australia is our ally. This is the biggest television network in Australia. And they're talking like you just heard about our president. Everything they said, though, was factual. And, of course, we ended that segment talking about DocuGate, those classified documents. There's a whole lot more to this whole thing than we yet know. I'm telling you, we don't know the truth yet. A little bit comes out every other day or so that says, do you know what? We find out the FBI knew about it several months ahead of time. But they cut a deal with the Biden administration to not go public with it until after the election. Everything in Washington, D.C., listen to me, Everything, the use of a pay toilet in the back of a cheap restaurant in Washington, D.C., is politicized. Everything is about politics. Andy McCarthy, former federal prosecutor, he weighed in yesterday about this 
Why did the everybody, the Biden administration, the FBI, the Department of Justice, why did everybody keep this quiet? To explain it all, former New York assistant U.S. attorney, Southern District of New York Fox News contributor, Andy McCarthy. Andy, let's just start with the general refusal to answer questions and what you heard today from John Kirby and the response from the White House and how it's changed or hasn't changed. Well, I I really think, Dagan, that they are flat-footed because they really didn't intend for the country ever to find out about this. Almost everything they did up until the moment that CBS reported this back in, it was January 9th, so about uh, 16 days ago, um, it all indicates that they were hoping that this would quietly get tucked away at the National Archives and uh, they wouldn't have to discuss it. And then it became a big public story, so I think they're still scrambling. Um, You know, if they had intended to disclose this, one of the things you think they would have done is beginning November 2nd, when the first batch of documents got found, uh, that they would do all these searches and scrub all these places and, and, you know, disclose one time everything that needed to be disclosed. And I think the fact that you're seeing this dribble, dribble, dribble and questions that they can't answer uh, is precisely because they didn't think anyone would have to find out about this and they're backpedaling. So, Andy, you mentioned the National Archives. I wonder if that's the, the, the focal point of why are, why are we discovering that all these documents were out there, whether it was with Biden or Pence? And it seems like they must know that some of these documents are out there and are starting to reach out to these former officials. Uh, but we don't know who they are. All I know is, from my time in Congress, they're incredibly woke. They're far left-leaning. And maybe they thought they were going to get some kind of pressure from the Congress if uh, it was going to switch to Republicans, which, by the way, it did, that they were going to be called uh, called to the carpet. Well, the impression I get, Sean, is that um, there's a culture of non-enforcement when you're dealing with these top-level officials. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the president or the vice president or whoever wants a document, some low-level aide who has a security clearance gets it. And you know, they're allowed to review it in certain places in the White House. If they don't give it back to you, are you going to demand that the president give the document back or the vice president? So I think the culture starts from the top where they act as if the rules don't apply to them. And then what happens is these documents end up getting intermingled with other things. And then when they get shipped out, they're obviously not careful about uh, what gets shipped out of the White House. And the next thing you know, you have this catastrophe. But You know, I really think for purposes of national security, which is much more important than Trump, more important than Biden, Pence, Hillary, Petraeus, you know, whoever's been in the trick bag on this stuff. For national security purposes, when a document that is top secret goes missing, or even if you have to wonder who saw it because it was in a place where it wasn't supposed to be, they're supposed to do an intelligence damage assessment immediately Mm -hmm. to find out are sources of information or intelligence compromised or are methods compromised? I don't see any evidence that they've done that with respect to Biden. They screamed and yelled about it with respect to Trump. They, you know, they went into court and said, we must know, you know, we must have access to these documents because we have to do our damage assessment. I haven't gotten any sense they've done a damage assessment on Biden. Before we go, I want everybody to see Biden yesterday and today and his uh, 
reaction when he was being asked questions about this, his mishandling of these classified documents? Sir, are the searches of your homes completed? Mr. President, when is Jeff Stein starting as your next chief of staff? Will you search for Hobbit? What about yesterday? Do we have that? Andy, we can stare at his uh, teeth or stare at the back of his head, but the problem is that you noted right away was that his counsel put out a statement and said, oh, these documents were inadvertently misplaced, which you uh, straight up said was an admission of guilt in essence. Well, yeah, Dagan, the standard in the statute is gross negligence. So if you tell people that you inadvertently misplaced it, that's essentially saying the same thing. Uh, and, I, you know, I think now what you're seeing is that, you know, they told everybody that they were very transparent and they were self-reporting. And what you're seeing now is whatever the opposite of transparency and self-reporting is, that's what we're getting. And it, this is my prediction. I know you, you got to run, but there's going to be a truce, right? There's going to be a truce with regard to Trump and, and, and Pence and Biden. They're not going to go after these top guys. There's now too many from each side involved. They're going to let this thing go and, and rewrite how they handle uh, documents. Again, only the little guys get punished. Andy McCarthy, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. All of this airtime, all of this print space covering all of this stuff was actually, let me switch microphone channels, it was actually a waste of our time. Just think about how much we missed because we were so focused and still are for that matter on where these documents came from, what they were about, and why this happened. I mean, you heard Joe Biden brag about it. Oh, by the way, the garage where my Corvette is parked is locked. Let me just ask you this. You've got a garage. We all have garages. The key to our garages about being locked is a button. Mine's up on my sun visor, and I click it, and it opens and closes my garage. Not just when I use my car, when I use my Harley. <laughs> and what is the connection about the security that comes with having a Corvette locked in a garage when there are boxes of classified documents sitting behind it? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> this is the president of the United States. And Sky News, you heard him a little bit ago. They called him a lunatic. I'm not going to go that far. Listen, let me put this in a capsule for you. Regarding Joe Biden, he is the president of the United States. He was elected by the people to serve. And I'm taught in the Bible to respect all of those who are in a place of authority over me. That would include the president of the United States. I respect the office of the presidency. I respect the fact that Joe Biden is the president of the United States. But respecting and trusting are two different things. I would not 
trust Joe Biden to put my dog, Olivia, who happens to be laying right here on the console looking at me, every show she demands to be put up on the console, four-pound Olivia. I would trust anybody else that I know to take Olivia somewhere for something. I would never in a million years ask the president, Joe Biden, to take Olivia anywhere. Why? She probably wouldn't come back and he wouldn't know the difference. Lowe's knows you're a craftsman guy. You have a lot of tools. Tools for everything you've done around the house. But there's the moment you realize your new project means new tools. When tool guys need new tools, they start with Lowe's. The new home of Craftsman. I'm a Verizon engineer, and today we're turning on 5G across the country, including right here in New York City. With the coverage of 5G nationwide and in more and more cities, the unprecedented performance of ultra-wideband. It will change your phone and how businesses do everything. I'm proud because we didn't build it the easy way. We built it right. This is the 5G America's been waiting for. Only from Verizon. 5G ultra-wideband available only in parts of select cities. 5G nationwide available in 1,800 plus cities. Welcome back to the King Value Radio Network. I'm your host, Sandy. And I'm your other host, Carl. Sandy, we are getting loads of calls today about the fresh new $1 Double Crispy Cheesy Burger. Well, hello. With two flame-broiled patties, crispy onions, and cheesy sauce for only a buck, that's no surprise. Jim from Tucson, you're on the air. Yeah, hi, guys. I just want to say I took your advice, went to Burger King, I got a new Double Crispy Cheesy Burger for a buck. I couldn't be happier. Oh, congratulations. Say, Jim, what was your favorite part of the delicious new Double Crispy Cheesy Burger, the Flame Fresh Taste? Well, I'll tell you, it had two big flame-broiled patties, plus it had crispy onions and cheesy sauce, too. It was really delicious. Oh, don't forget the price, Jim. Oh, yeah, and it only costs a dollar. It's probably the best purchase I ever made. Probably, Jim. Okay, definitely. Yeah, there it is. Yeah. There it is. Get the new Double Crispy Cheesy Burger with double the Flame Fresh Taste. In a world of weapons-grade stupidity, your defense is the truth. TNN, the Truth News Network. What I have for you now could not have been more timely for Pete Moss and that break that you just heard from him. Weapons-grade stupidity. Just think about that when you hear what I'm about to tell you. Adam Schiff. Representative Adam Schiff from California, we've talked about him ad nauseum this morning. He decided and he announced today he's running for the U.S. Senate. That's right. Adam Schiff, Shifty Schiff, is running for the U.S. Senate. Here's what he said. Our democracy is at great risk because GOP leaders care more about power than anything else. And because our economy isn't working for millions of hardworking Americans, we're in the fight of our lives, a fight I'm ready to lead as California's next U.S. senator. Now, he tweeted this out. He announced it. Speaker of the House McCarthy, as you know, kicked Schiff and Swalwell off the House Intelligence Committee. You heard all about it. 
And so, wait a minute. California has two U.S. senators right now, don't they? Yeah, they do. One of them, Democrat California Senator Dianne Feinstein, she's been in the Senate for six terms. And this term ends in 2024. She's 89 years old. She struggles, it's reported, with extensive memory loss. Feinstein has filed a run for re-election. However, she has not declared a campaign for a sixth full term. On January 10th, the other senator, Representative Katie Porter, wait a minute, I'm sorry. She's not a senator. She is in the House of Representatives. She announced her run for Feinstein's seat, taking a shot at Mitch McConnell and arguing that the U.S. Senate is a place where democracy gets rigged. She said, change can be electrifying and exhilarating, but change can also be disruptive. The constant assault on our democracy and the dangerous imbalance in our economy. The threat from so-called leaders like Mitch McConnell has made the U.S. Senate a place where rights get revoked, special interests get rewarded, and our democracy gets rigged. She, too, tweeted out, her statement, just as Adam Schiff did. Now, what does that tell you, especially about Adam Schiff? What does that tell you? Diane Feinstein, she has filed to run for a term. Do they not respect her? I mean, they're in the same political party. It's not like these are Republicans running against a senator that's a Democrat. It doesn't matter to either one of them. I wonder if California wants to have people representing them that operate with that mindset. I would not, well, I wouldn't vote for them for policy purposes, first of all. But secondly, for them not even giving one bit of consideration to Dianne Feinstein. Now, this next story really troubles me. Uh, I've flown a lot in my life, in business primarily, but I've flown a whole lot. And, you know, I, I use a flight analogy when I talk about Donald Trump when he was president, Joe Biden as president. You know, I trusted Donald Trump. I voted for him. Before he ever announced formally he was going to run for president, I said, and I published it, if he runs, he'll win. Why did I feel that way? He would fill a hole in the American political system that hadn't been, it's been empty for decades. Nobody, no real leader has stepped up to fill that role, and he did a good job. Joe Biden, you know, if you're a regular, you know my feelings about Joe Biden. I don't know the man personally, but in politics, he, he is a disaster. But I want him to be successful. I want everybody that ever fills that seat, President of the United States, to be successful. What made me think about this? I'm thinking about flying all the time. I want the guy in the left seat up front to be very good and very successful at his task, which is to get me to the next place where I'm planning on going and get me there safely. 
Listen to what has happened very quietly. The FAA, Federal Aviation Administration, they have changed their heart test limit triggers. Now, what is this? Heart test limit triggers. One researcher for an aviation advocacy group, U.S. Freedom Flyers, stumbled upon a change in the EKG requirements for pilots to get licensed. And it changed a couple of weeks ago. The revision was made without a published explanation, which is not supposed to happen. USFF turned to a nationally known cardiologist and other experts to assess the importance of this heart change. They say the FAA's change involving what's called the PR interval is significant. The PR interval represents the time it takes for an electrical impulse to travel from one part of the heart to another, and it is an indicator of heart health. So obviously the FAA, they set some parameters. But there's a new normal PR interval. The FAA set it for pilots, and it's 50% longer than the previous limit. Now, what does that mean? Their hearts, or several of them, and I'll, I'll get to that in a minute, but that electrical charge that makes the heart beat, and at times when it's supposed to, it's taking longer now to move from one side of the heart to the other. And there has been a long-accepted limit in that time in cardiology. Critics fear the expanding the limit could endanger pilots' health and passenger safety. Now, this worry is especially acute. The rising reports of cardiac arrest, sudden deaths since the COVID pandemic when it began in 2020, some researchers suggest some heart conditions could be tied to after effects of COVID-19 injections or the virus itself. Because pilots were threatened with job termination, a large number of them took those COVID jabs. These factors make a very worrisome mix. This is a ticking time bomb on a level like nobody's ever seen. Some people question whether the level of concern is justified. Others agree that it is for many months. Others have railed against the FAA for declaring the COVID injections safe for pilots. One guy named Yoder, an expert in the field, and others say the FAA should be held accountable for relaxing this EKG standard. They say the new standard increases the odds that a pilot's heart condition would slip past undetected and untreated, setting stage for disaster. Now, what is this all about, Dan? How many pilots have died Commercial airline pilots have died over the last year or so, last two years. Do you have any idea? I'll tell you. 13, several of them in flight. Every one of them 
had been COVID-19 vaccinated. Now remember in opening for this segment, I said, I want every pilot, whoever the guy is in the left seat, which is where the pilot sits, co-pilot sits on the right side. Actually, I want everybody to be successful up front because they're taking me wherever I'm going to go and I want them to get me there safely. And when something like this comes up, first of all, I don't trust our federal government when it comes to regulations. I just don't do it. Too many times, over and over and over again, we find out their regulations are not based upon the science of anything. They're based upon the political outcome, the political perspective. We're talking about life and death. These guys and girls, if they're female pilots, if they fly and they've got this change in this test and the operation and the functions in their hearts, they are ripe for a heart attack. 13 of them, 13 pilots have died. Nobody's talking about it. But it's really important. Now, what will that do? Can you ask your pilot before they take off if they've been COVID vaccinated? By law, you can't. So what do you do? (laughs) There's no sure thing. You either get on the plane and trust that you're going to get to where you're going or you don't fly, you drive. This is stuff that you and I had no input into other than who we elected. But you heard our guest at the top of the show, Jay Slayton. Jay Slayton. He was talking about being on target, being on track. He talked about the World Economic Forum, the big Davos thing that happened last month, early this month actually. And those people over there, they want to put a blanket over all of Earth. And for all of the people in the WEF that are very wealthy, very powerful politically, they are the ones that run not the nation, but the world. Klaus Schwab Schwab is the guy that runs the WEF. That's what it's all about. Everything needs to be unified under one ruling class of people. I don't want to go down that road, but I can tell you this. I want pilots to be 100% safer. I want their license pulled, period. And that test, I don't care what the FDA says. Remember, the FDA authorized Moderna, Johnson & Johnson, and Pfizer to put out these vaccines. They made the the perspective or the perception of the American people that they were fully approved. Not a single one of them is fully approved today by the FDA. They're put out there and licensed to sell based on an emergency authorization usage, an EUA. It's almost like, hey, we're approving so-and-so vaccine for emergency use only. They whispered that. That should scare the American people to death in all ways, 
raises a question mark about what is the underlying principle for doing it the way that they were doing it. And we know why. First of all, follow the money. These drug companies, they're making billions of dollars selling these vaccinations, not to American people, but to the federal government who's buying them and injecting them in our arms. And the reason it's happening is for the love of money. We'll never know. We will never know the extent to which this has pervasively run across the nation. We'll never know. But you can rest assured that there are a large number of people that are in leadership in America that are getting money for doing everything they can do to get every American vaccinated with one of these three vaccines. Now that I'm a COVID-19 misinformationist, if you didn't know that already, you certainly know it now. I'm an election denier too. I don't have any details about what's been going on in the Arizona elections. I just know there are a lot of Arizonans that are up in the air with anger because there has been, and it's not conjecture, it has been proven in court. There's a lot of election mishandling that has been going on in Arizona. The former Secretary of State, now she's governor, Katie Hobbs, allegedly withheld evidence in a trial, Hamadi, a trial. Attorney General changes the election unit. So in the middle of Arizona Democrat Governor Katie Hobbs as Secretary of State before running for and being elected governor. She withheld evidence last year as Secretary of State during an election trial regarding the state attorney general race. This is according to Democrat Attorney General Chris Mays. He's shifting the focus of the AG's election integrity unit to voter suppression. So former... Arizona Assistant Attorney General Jennifer Wright. She served in the Civil Division of the Office's Election Integrity Unit under former Attorney General Mark Brinovich. She joined GOP Attorney General nominee Abe Hamadi's lawsuit against Hobbs and against Mays last week and argues that Hobbs did not provide evidence in Hamadi's trial last month. I guess it's Hamadi. Hamadi's lawsuit alleges multiple Arizona counties inaccurately counted votes in the AG attorney general election and requested all ballots read as undervotes be inspected. After a Mojave County Superior Court judge dismissed his and the Republican National Committee's election challenge, Hamadi filed a motion earlier this month for a new trial. In a December 21st report to then-Secretary of State Katie Hobbs, now the governor, Pinal County admitted finding a 507-vote variance 
between the certified election count and the recount. The recount totals weren't announced until December 29th by Maricopa County Superior Court. Hamadi had 392 more votes after the recount, while his Democrat opponent, Attorney General Chris Mays, had 115 more votes. The Republican initially lost the election by 511 votes, which then dropped to 280 after the automatic statewide recount. Ride said on Tuesday that the Secretary of State's counsel was aware through the recount process and the Secretary of State herself, now government, was aware that there were problems in Pinal County that specifically were the problems that Abe raised in his case that he went to trial with on December 23rd. Tabulation machines misread validly cast votes as undervotes. That means that some votes for the Attorney General election weren't counted. The information regarding the updated vote total was known to the secretary before trial. She did not provide information that, in fact, the concerns we raised were happening at least in one county, and we believe that there alone is motion for a new trial. We think that lacked candor to the court if evidence was withheld, and we believe that we need to retry this issue and look closely at every single ballot that was marked as an undervote, whatever the heck an undervote is. There's a lot more to this story. I'm not going to get into it. But once again, basically, here's a story with factual information that throws a lot of shade on the election results for Maricopa County and Pinal County. Those two counties are the two biggest counties with the biggest population in Arizona. And as those two counties go, so goes the election. So let's forget about the West. We talked about California. We've talked about Arizona. Let's go back to the East Coast, Southeast. Let's go back to Georgia. Stacey Abrams. Stacey Abrams. Everybody knows her now. She's an international star. She criticized Georgia's updated election law and claimed voter suppression. Remember that? African-American people across the state were being kept away from the voting polls. And she said, election law, voter suppression, all that happened again during the 2022 midterm elections. But you hadn't heard from Stacy the last few weeks. I wonder why that is. A nonpartisan outside of Georgia polling company did a poll of black Georgians. And when the poll was out there, the pollsters were asking if they experienced personally any voter suppression in any way. Of black Georgia residents who participated in the poll, not one, not one, zero had a poor experience. 94.3% were either very confident or somewhat confident their vote counted as intended. And the polling entity 
required voters to have an ID to receive an absentee ballot and placed a restriction on where ballot boxes were placed, leading President Biden to call the new law Jim Crow in the 21st century. And by the way, more black people voted in this election than ever before. The law worked to curb alleged voter fraud and expanded the in-person early voting in most counties in Georgia. It extended voting periods to weekends and expanded the hours that polls are open. Abrams didn't respond to anybody. Every media outlet has reached out to her. You hadn't seen or heard anything from Stacy after this polling report came out. After the law passed in March, Abrams criticized the law, and of course she criticized her opponent in the governor's race, Governor Kemp, who beat her, and continued to criticize the law during the midterms. Leading up to the election, Georgia voters broke the state early voting record with 2.2 million ballots cast. Now, this is from the Secretary of State's office. It does not mean voter suppression doesn't exist, Abrams said back in October, but we're stronger, we're better, and we're faster than it, the voter suppression. Abrams first accused Georgia of participating in voter suppression after the governor, Kemp, defeated her for the first time during the 2018 gubernatorial election. In November, Kemp defeated her again, 53 to 45%. Ken, uh, Kemp got 2.1 million votes. 298,000 more than did Abram. Anybody can say anything about anybody else. First Amendment. Sometimes having the freedom of speech, it's going to insult somebody or make somebody else mad. But whoever speaks it's going to pay the consequences that go along with it, but they have the constitutional right to speak it. Now, what else is going on out in the world? I'm going to tell you, this week week has been just full. I mean, really full. But Rand Paul, Senator Rand Paul from Kentucky, he made a stand about all of the crazy government spending, especially by the Biden administration. 100%, almost 100% deficit spending. And we're out of the pandemic, folks. There's no way to hide that. Larry Kudlow had Rand Paul on, and I want you to listen closely to what you hear because Rand Paul has a suggestion of a very safe and very effective way to cut our spending without losing any of our resources and getting us back to a point where you and I, we don't pay for inflation. Because if we do what Rand Paul, the senator, is saying we ought to do, inflation will be in our rearview mirror. Pleasure. Joining me is Senator Rand Paul from Kentucky. You know, Senator Paul, I want to get to you. You've got a plan on the debt ceiling, which I kind of like. But, I mean, it's amazing to me, this big lie tactic. They keep accusing McCarthy, Republicans in general, 
of Medicare, Social Security, interest on the debt, all this stuff, all the scare tactics. It's the big lie. Communists used to use this all the time, probably still do. I mean, why is it? Why can't they be honest and truthful even for a nanosecond, Senator Paul? Well, they're completely dishonest and worry the markets and are bad for the country and bad for all of us by saying, oh, we might default. There's absolutely no reason for us to default. Our interest payments are about $400 billion. We bring in about uh, $5 trillion. So we have plenty of money to pay our interest payments. We have plenty of money to pay our soldiers, to pay our Social Security, and to pay for Medicare. Now, we don't have a lot of extra money beyond that. We're about a third overdrawn. So there's an enormous amount of government that we'd have to trim. Now, if you do it over about a five-year period, what I've proposed recently is you bring the baseline down, you cut $100 billion immediately, and then you freeze spending for about four or five years. And guess what? You actually achieve balance through growth. And so it can be done, and it can be done with very small amounts, maybe not even cuts beyond the $100 billion, but by freezing spending. So, Senator Paul, let's go through this. Very interesting. Uh, you were with, in with Mike Braun, Ted Cruz, Ron Johnson, Mike Lee, Rick Scott, if I have that right. Um, this is from your, uh, your gang, your team. Um, you want to take $100 billion out. Now, this is for the full budget, I assume, which is almost $6 trillion, $5.7 trillion. 1.7% cut of total outlays in FY24, which is coming up what you all will face, and then freeze spending at that level for the next three years, freezing that spending. So how does that work out? How does that affect entitlements? How does that affect discretionary, et cetera, et cetera? I'm confident that if you did the cut across the board to everything, uh, a 1.7% cut, that you would not know it happened. And I'll give you an example of how people who are very wedded in a project say, oh, you can't cut my project. Let's say Alzheimer's research, and there's $100 billion spent on Alzheimer's research. What would it be next year under this plan? Be like 98.5% or 98.3%. So it still would be a large amount of money. And it's the same with even things like Medicare. If you look at the overall budget of Medicare, what would happen if you froze the overall budget? Well, I think there's enough administrative costs and government waste within the system of a $1.3 trillion system that you could eliminate waste and actually do it without changing anybody's uh, receiving their Medicare benefit. I do think, though, that things like Medicare and Social Security, if you want them to function long term and you want to balance budgets and have surpluses, that you are going to need means testing, meaning that people like myself, like yourself, who have done well in life, really you're going to have to pay the full cost of their Medicare and not have the working class subsidize your health care. Uh, how about setting up a bipartisan commission to do that? That's a political well, issue. It's a policy issue. You know, I was around um, when Ronald Reagan was president in the first term. I was working in his OMB budget office. That's how he did it. He brought in Alan Greenspan. Well, he brought in Pat Moynihan. Uh, he brought in the heads of the labor unions. I believe uh, it was Lane Kirkland from the FFL-CIO. I could be wrong, but I think that was right. And they sat down and they, you know, they came up with some reform plans. And it was bipartisan. And it passed. And by the way, it worked for the next 50 years. How about the com uh, some kind of commission? 
I've been recommending something similar for quite a while now, unfortunately without success, but I would use the model of the Joint Economic Committee. The Joint Economic Committee is evenly divided. Mm -hmm. Doesn't matter whether Republicans are in charge or Democrats. There's equal number of Republicans and Democrats on it. They typically don't vote out legislation, but they discuss ideas. So it would be a standing committee. You would bring in the actuaries that measure Social Security soundness, Medicare soundness. You would talk about different proposals and what the outcome of. Many of these things are economic projections based on what you do. And in a reasonable, rational fashion, we would say, how do we preserve these programs that the bulk of Americans have come to assume and accept, but make them actually you know, responsible, fiscally responsible. And the interesting thing about this, and most Americans don't know this, over half of the European governments run surpluses. Germany and Sweden both have big governments, both have big safety nets, but they run surpluses. So it can be done. It is a problem, though, to have chronic deficits because I think it's eroding us from within, and we ultimately could destroy the currency and this great country if we continue to let this debt grow apace. Wow. Got to end it there. Cudlow and Rand Paul. I got a text from our buddy Steve Baker during this, and he said Rand Paul, Senator Rand Paul, is his hero. I got to be honest with you. He's one of mine, too. And I'm not a libertarian. I'm not a Democrat or a Republican either. I'm an independent. But when you make and want to initiate financial plans for the nation, it's no different than your household. Novel idea. Don't spend more than you bring in the front door. That's called deficit spending, and it kills every good thing. It forces you to be obligated to whoever holds your debt. And in our case, everybody thinks it's China. It's not. It's not. The American taxpayers, you and me, we're the ones that are obligated because They're selling bonds. And the investment, 501c3s and simple IRAs, they're buying these treasury bonds on our behalf. And if we default on our debt, the government won't talk about it, but it's a fact. You and I feel the impact personally. Wow. Thank you for being here today. Good show. Jeremy Sladen topped the show. He really laid it out there, especially for us guys. And then, of course, the rest of the day, it's just life as usual in the good old U.S. of A. Hey, we'll see you tomorrow morning. We'll end the week together at 9, TNN Live. See you then. I don't want another heartbreak. I don't need another turn to cry. No, I don't want to learn the hard way. Baby, hello. Oh, no. Goodbye. But you got me like a rocket Shooting straight across the sky It's the way you love me It's a feeling like this It's centrifugal motion It's perpetual bliss It's that pivotal moment It's impossible This kiss, this kiss Unstoppable This kiss, this kiss Cinderella said to Snow White, how does love get so off course? Oh, all I wanted was a white knight with a good heart, soft touch, fast horse. Ride me off into the sunset, baby, I'm forever yours. It's the way you love me, 
It's that pivotal moment. It's 